When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let me start with, obviously, we're here to celebrate Michael Stanley Band's... Uh, <laughs> this iconic run at, at Blossom Music Center uh, in 1982 that began 40 years ago today. Um, today. <laughs> Let me ask a question. Okay, show of hands, how many people went to at least one of those shows? <laughs> wow. Wow. How many people weren't born until after the show? That's why I have these guys here. Okay, um, just so you guys know, this is being recorded as a podcast from my CLE Rocks podcast for Cleveland.com. So anyone who's not here or even you guys want to check it out, it'll be live on Cleveland.com tomorrow. Um, and the whole point is to celebrate this 40th anniversary of this amazing, amazing series of shows. Um, but these guys here are really, to me, uh, the reason to be here. So let me introduce my guests. Uh, playing the role uh, of Tommy Dobek is uh, Barry, Barry Gable from... <laughs> Barry Gable from, from Live Nation. Give it up. Uh, Tommy wanted to be here. You talked to Tommy. I know Barry talked to Tommy. He had something come up, um, but he wishes everybody the best, and, and he's really excited about the anniversary of, of this awesome event. Um, also, we have uh, Chris Abood, who was the marketing director for Blossom Music Center at the time of all these epic Michael Stanley Band concerts. And last but not least, uh, Gary Markaski. <laughs> So, so you guys know, I, I, I plan these events pretty much myself um, and, and pick the guests. And I probably messaged every person that's ever been in the Michael Stanley band. And Gary was the first one. And it was just like, I'm in. I think, I think he sent me a fist pound emoji. It was like, <laughs> it was like let's do it. So uh, I'm awesome to have him here. And uh, I'll let these guys get their get you guys mics up. You know we're gonna we're gonna start with some questions. We're gonna end the night. We wrap this up. It's gonna be a Q and A portion. I imagine much of that is gonna be you guys sharing your stories of these awesome concerts as well. Um, but I want to start with Gary. So let's go back. I want to go back to '78 uh, when you joined. Correct me if I'm wrong. '77. '77. September. September '77. Okay. '77. Yeah. What was it like? So, you know, Michael Stanley Band obviously had had success up until that point in the '70s. What was it like when you joined up with those guys? It was great. The thing was, we were friends because we had I had a band in Youngstown called Coconut. Okay, who the bass player in the band was Mr. Michael Sofis, who was Jimmy Sofis's brother, who was the road manager for Michael at that time. And we were doing shows with him off and on at like the Agora or Shaker Heights every year. We did the Christmas show. And uh, that's how we knew each other. And then when Jonah decided to leave, uh, Michael came down to the Tomorrow Club in Youngstown, Ohio, which was uh, the Agora. Youngstown Agora, same thing. Well, Jack Kirkhoff, you remember he took it over with the Connies? Yep. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Michael came down with Bob and Tommy, and they said, Gary, <laughs> if you want the gig, man, you got it. So... I have to. I left my own band to go to be with Michael. Yeah. Yeah. And then the rest is history. <laughs> at the same, you know, it, we, when I look back at it, and everyone knows this, when you look back at the timeline, uh, Barry, you came to Live Nation, I think, in or I'm sorry, Belkin at the time. You, you came at '79. Correct, '79. Um, and and by, by September of '79. <laughs> <laughs> By the time you got there, yeah, uh, sure. Mike Mike Belkin had been the manager, had become the manager Correct. for a few years of uh, Michael Stanley Band. I'm curious, like you, knew, obviously you're working for Mike and working alongside him. 
What was it about him and Michael Stanley that made them click? Because this is a relationship that went, you know, 40, 40 right. years. Well, let me, before I answer that, sure. or at least try to, I want to first say that um, I'm happy I'm here, but I, I think we all would rather have every one of the band members here, especially Michael. Um, so I miss him dearly. I don't want to get too emotional about it, but I wish they were all here and we weren't here, quite honestly. But I'll do the best I can to remember, because it's been a lot of years and a lot of... A lot of Budweiser. <laughs> but um, so truth be told, um, my wife and Jimmy Sophis were sharing a house um, in South Euclid. And uh, yeah. this was in 1979. We had met, my wife and I met in North Carolina in 1978. And we were dating apart from one another. She came back up here and to teach at Beachwood Elementary School with Michael Stanley's ex-wife, Libby Gee. And so when I would come up and visit, I only knew three people. I knew Michael Stanley, I knew Libby Gee, and Jimmy Sophis. But I knew Michael as my wife's friend because they went to junior high school, high school, and Hiram together. So when I came up here, I had just been introduced to Cabin Fever, which was released in 78, 79, around that 78. time. 78. Yeah. And, and Mutt Lang produced it. Um, and, and literally, when I moved here, I had $300. My little, I had my music, uh, my, all of my instruments, because I was playing music in North Carolina. And Michael was going to introduce me to a bunch of other musicians, and he was going to help me get going. The day I moved up here on a Wednesday, he called me and said, there's some job opening at Belkin Reductions. And I said, who's that? <laughs> I had no fucking idea. Am I allowed to say that on a podcast? I didn't know. Yes. All right. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I, I had no idea, and literally, I was in town for an hour. Jimmy Sophis and Michael Stanley put a call into Mike Belkin, and I ran this organization. I had a 10-minute conversation. He asked me, uh, do I have a car? <laughs> and do I know where the Beachwood Post Office is? Because all I did was pick up the mail. and what, ran. What, car did you, what kind of car did you have? I had a Toyota Corolla. And um, I started working there on a Monday, and it was literally 43 years later. It's the only full-time job I ever had. So I've been there for 43 years. So, but when I first started there, um, I didn't really work with M Michael Stanley. I worked doing this other stuff, but he was my friend and somebody that I hung out with as opposed to Michael Stanley, the rock star. Um, but what I saw in the early in the early years there, was there was incredible bond with, Mike was like the, would you say he was one of like the, like one of the members of the band, but he was incredibly smart. Oh, absolutely. Always, always energetic. Always, his big thing was always something bigger, always something better. And oh, it yeah. was the perfect fit for Michael Stanley because he, they just were buddies, but he worked so Hard. There are about two or three great relationships that Mike has had through the years when he was alive. And Michael Jr. would always say Michael Stanley was in the top three of those relationships that were key to his life, not just career, but his life. Right. So. You know, I will, I will say this, too. Um, I moved here, you know, almost 10 years ago now to do this job, and... One of the first people we met with when I was at Cleveland.com was Live Nation out at the offices. And um, Barry, for people who weren't around to see Michael Stanley band and Michael Stanley and his other bands in their heyday, Barry is one of those people who the passion and, and celebration of who Michael Stanley was and his legacy is really trickled down to younger people. So we're able to understand that and know that moving forward. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. you. From you for sure. Absolutely. I want to, you know, Chris, I want to ask you about the scene at that point because you're at Blossom and I think, you know, we talk about the, the big shows in 82, but Michael Stanley, give me a timeline here. He starts off as Michael an opening. Michael Stanley started <laughs> off as a little child in 1976 when he and his band opened for Loggins and Messina at Blossom Music Center. How about that? Oh, yeah. 1976. Then later on, he was the headliner and headlined in 81 and 82 and 83. I got all my stuff here to tell you about it. <laughs> but the fact was that Michael Stanley appeared in my time at Blossom from when I started in 1982 
to when I finished up in the 1990 season, he had appeared 18 times, including the four sellouts that most of you attended. But, but just keep in mind, this is such a wonderful celebration of Michael at his blossom days and understanding that he started in 76 is great and understanding that he went through the, with the band, the original band through 86. But keep in mind all those other shows that we all went to at the Front Row Theater, at the Coliseum. And then later on with his great band, The Resonators, we're going to every venue, the Akron Civic Theater, the Kent Stage, here at the Music Box. Kane Park, uh, so many wonderful shows that we got a chance to see, Michael. And while those four shows in 82 were so special, and I'll talk about those in a minute, the fact was that we were blessed to have Michael for all those years, weren't we? Yeah. And That's right. As a side note, as a side note, this is, I'm going to be perfectly honest because we're all friends here. Sitting next to Barry Gable is a great gift for me because for several years we were friendly competitors because Blossom only had the summer. And so we had to punch as much as we could, punch our weight above our weight through uh, really from late May through September. And so we had the opportunity to have a band like Michael Stanley and his group, as well as some of the other highlights like Chicago and Barry Manilow and some of the other artists that chose to tour during the summer. But it wasn't, it wasn't an easy battle. It was a tough, tough yeah. challenge because Belkin Productions was so well known. So, I've loved working against and with Barry for so many years, so this is really a treat for me. But what I wanted to say about 1982 was that was my first year at Blossom Music Center, and I had started April of yeah. 1982. You blew it. You should have said September. No, no, no. <laughs> Why? But because it was April 1st, no 1982. <laughs> April 1st, oh, 1982 was my first date. I had been on the radio at WMMS uh, prior to that time, and uh, I was doing overnights. I was one night a week while, while uh, BLF Bash took a day or a night off, whatever you want to call it. But from there, I went then to Blossom. I'd worked with WMMS and several other radio stations at that point, so the whole idea of my moving to Blossom was incredibly exciting for me. So one of the very first meetings that I took was on Chagrin Boulevard with Belkin Productions. And I walk in with my mentor and one of my favorite people, Chris Fallman, who actually booked Blossom from 1973 on. So that tells you how long he was involved. We went into Mike Belkin's office. We sit down with Mike. You boys from Blossom, I want you to kick ass. I want you to spend every dollar you have, and I want you to sell these shows out. Well, remember, Michael had already done sold-out shows in 81, and, and so he's got a track record. But doggone it, this was four nights, and four nights of 18,000-plus. And Mike Belkin was not going to allow us not to succeed and sell out those four shows. And so he said, do what you need to do to sell them out. And Chris Fallman, God bless him, he's going, Mike, we're on a budget. How much money do you expect us to spend on the Michael Stanley band? And Mike throws out this huge number that was probably for four or five or six different shows, let alone one band. And so Chris puts up a fight and says, talk on it, okay. And then we walk out and he says, you give Belkin anything he wants. And that's an honest-to-goodness story. And doggone it, from that time on and from 82 on through the next several years, working with the Belkin family and Barry and Michael Stanley and his band and his family was probably the highlight of my career at Blossom. So talking about these shows and having the chance to talk in a little bit more detail about what went on behind the scenes is such a thrill, and I'm so glad you all are here to hear it. Mike, Mike would say about the budget, he said, Chris, I'm giving you an unlimited budget, and, and they exceeded it. They exceeded yeah. an unlimited budget. I think, I think Tom, I read a quote that Tommy said uh, that was, if it was up to Belkin, there have been six shows. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, Gary, I wanted to ask you, so, you know, when you get in the band, and then you get into, uh, from inside, what were things like when you get to the 80s, like 1980, uh, well, <laughs> Heartland drops, and you're reaching, like, Commercial Peak, Michael Stanley band? What was that time like? I'll tell you what. <clears throat> when, I, when I first came, uh, David Spiro was still managing the band, okay? And then uh, he was doing a great job, but then all of a sudden Mike Belkin came over to us and says, hey, can we take you to the, the right place? A couple minutes later, he's on the phone with Clive Davis, and we're on the Rista Records on our way to London to do the Cabin Fever album. And it, it was with the producer was Mutt Lang. You guys yeah. know who Mutt Lang is? Yeah. 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 Mutt was my roommate. It was, it was his dog. <laughs> yeah. So him and I, we, oh, God. We used to shoot 
back to London from Mom in South Wales where we did the Cabin Fever album, which was where they did Yellow Brick Road and uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, all of that was done there. And we just shoot in, in town because he was doing the Boomtown Rats. <laughs> and we were helping mix it. <laughs> yeah, and um, <clears throat> anyway, um, so when that, that first happened, we, it just went boom, 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 boom. Next thing we know, we were back in town here and we're selling out the Coliseum. Right, 79, you guys set yeah, the record right. at the Coliseum. Uh, was Eddie Money <laughs> on that or something? Or? <laughs> I'm trying to think. I was opening. I wanted to ask uh, Barry and Chris, so World Series of Rock, again, correct me if I'm wrong, ends in 1980, and then... 81. 81, and then you... You joined up in 82. What, what was the scene like, and what changed at Blossom? Because when you look at 82 as a whole, that was a record-setting year for Blossom as a whole. Getting into the 80s, what changed? Like, How were things in the concert industry? What was making them take off so much? Uh, first of all, during the 80s, everybody was touring. And I think that's really important. Uh, if you look at the Blossom calendar, and I'm happy to share them later when we're done, but... You know, nearly every night when it wasn't a Cleveland Orchestra evening at Blossom was taken up by some really big acts. And that's the way it was during the summer. And then the fall and the, and the winter, when, again, Blossom had a lot of the shows during the summer because the bands chose to do the, uh, do the uh, shed tour. And by that, I mean similar uh, venues to Blossom, such as uh, Wolf Trap, such as uh, Star Pine Lake Nob. Amphitheater, yeah. Pine Knob. Yeah. They had a lot of these All great these venues that were all outdoors that Chris was saying sheds. Yeah. And the other point is that, and you hear this time and time again, that Cleveland radio was off the hook phenomenal. Um, so always a great, not only just MMS, that had a, like a 17 share, which was amazing. If you know what that means, pretty much everybody that lived in town was listening to Jeff and Flash, and then Matt the Cat, and then Leo, and Betty, and, and the, whole, the whole group. Uh, but they also had M105, they had um, GCL, so there was all these great formats that were beating the shit out of one another, playing all kinds of music. We had radio record companies here, every record company that was established, so there was always something going on with um, every band wanted to play here. Blossom was a beautiful place to play, um, and so that's what, it was like the convergence of the perfect storm with uh, great airplay, great bands at that time, too, and great radio airplay and a phenomenal uh, venue. And, and the ticket prices at that point were a little bit lower. <laughs> how, much, how much were the, were the Michael Stanley band shows? Uh, Gary, to, or, uh, I sent you an Barry, to, Barry told me this. 12 50 was it? No. 12 50 maybe $15. I know we, when we went on sale, we had a $10 lawn price, you know. Um, which allowed a lot of people to come all four nights. How much you know, Forty dollars. You see the show every time. I saw the album. Yes, prices. Probably. When the MSB album came out, I saw an ad in the plane that it was less than five dollars. Yeah. How many of y'all uh, collected these? Do you remember? <laughs> these were the yeah. calendars that we produced for many years, and uh, I can tell you, based on what I'm seeing right here, that uh, the Michael Stanley band was twelve bucks in the pavilion. <laughs> yeah. And to tell you, just to let you know, folks, that was expensive because the next night on September 1st, Rick Springfield was only $11 for the pavilion. James Taylor, $11. But holy mackerel, Lou Rawls was 12 bucks. So we're talking serious money here. And how many of you saw the Ferrari and Teicher show at Blossom? Nobody? Well, no wonder because the ticket pavilion, 11 bucks. Holy mackerel, Andy. But Gary, right that next night was your favorite night. Wayne Newton was at Blossom. <laughs> and he was, holy shit, he was 15 bucks in the pavilion. Whoa. So anyway, you Vegas talk, prices. Were you there when Wayne came? Uh, no, Wayne and I never got along well. Oh. <laughs> Gary, I'm curious, you know, when things started to get big, especially obviously in Cleveland for Michael Stanley Band, what was it like being in that band and performing at those venues here? Because I... You know, even before the 82 shows, you guys had played the New Year's Eve and New Year's Day at Coliseum. So tell me, like, what was How many people like? saw Gary in his underwear come down? <laughs> Wait, what? Gary came down from the ceiling <laughs> New Year's Eve, came down on a wench and wearing a baby diaper to bring in the New Year. That's true, right? And you know what? We did that, too, with the ant. 
Right. Right when we got back from England to, to take the cabin fever, you know, and then kick it off, you know. That's why, you know. <clears throat> Jerry Jules, got dressed I, up as an ant. I don't know how he got me doing this, but uh, Mike. <laughs> Jules, got this? Jules got me to do it. He really wanted. He really thought this is this is going to be perfect. We'll do this. And then Mike said, "Well, we got to get. How are we going to insure this?" He had to call Lloyd's of London. I think he, he, they charged him seven hundred and fifty dollars <laughs> to insure me to do that each night. <laughs> and it was like on a Kevlar thing, looked like a dental floss, <laughs> but it could pick up a tank. It's, that was that strong. And you know what? The one thing, I don't know if you know this, Bear, but th that, that night when I was up there, one of the riggers knocked my wireless thing out of there. I'm up there, and I, I couldn't get it in. And, and waiting until the last minute, Michael's counting it down to the last two, one, two, three, four, and I just got it in in time to start this off. It was unreal. Thank God. Oh, it was unreal. I was panicking. I said, oh, my God, no. What was your question again? I'm sorry. I can't really remember now. I'm picturing. Oh, we got more stories. Gary in a diaper. Um, you have to remember, I was not. I was born I in March 1984. <laughs> so, you know, I only know this version of, of Gary, and, and so uh, him in a diaper. There you go. But um, I'm curious. Okay, let me kick it back to Chris. Talk to me about the meetings and and the idea to play. Four shows because no one had ever done that before. Correct me if I'm wrong. At Blossom, and that's right. So was it like, are you nuts or? I mean, because because Michael Stanley Band had played, they did three sold out yes. the year before. Yeah. So there was, you know, there was obviously the the ammunition to say how big can we take this, and I think Barry alluded to it earlier. It was it was it was a combined effort to say this is worth four nights. And remember, we broke it up too. It wasn't four nights in a row. And that's important for a couple reasons. One, if we had any more tickets to sell, they would have sold because the first two nights were killer. And then we had a couple of break days, and then bang, Michael and group are back on the stage. So if it hadn't been sold out, it would have been sold out. Having also said that, there wasn't so much a question about whether it was going to be successful or not, but how successful. And so when you raise the goal of saying, we want to sell out four shows, you're going to do everything you can to make that work. And thankfully, it did. Having said that again, Michael followed with three shows and then two shows and then two shows and then two shows afterwards. Michael Stanley was never a hard draw at Blossom, thank God. Right. It was always a successful evening and it was a successful experience. And I did want to say again how cordial it was to work with the Belkin family for those programs because again, we were competing for other acts during the year. Yeah, people don't. I just want to say, like the record, it was a record year for Blossom at times. Uh, I think six hundred thirty-five thousand. So those four shows were more than a tenth of, of that record yeah, that was year, a which critical, is a, a critical yeah. number to meet that goal. But I will say, we ended up in '84 bringing six hundred seventy thousand in. So yeah. thankfully, that was it. Those were the times when a lot of tickets were sold because a lot of people loved rock and roll. <laughs> and as Barry was alluding to, we had such a killer group of radio stations telling us go to those shows and those Barry referenced the Cleveland stations and let's not forget about the Akron stations and Canton and the Youngstown stations when I was advertising Blossom it wasn't just the stations that we both know and love all of us know and love it was the stations in Youngstown and it was the stations you know as far east as or excuse me as far west as Toledo because we had that kind of draw we were the shed in the northern Ohio slash Michigan, Indiana, et cetera, which is why we were fortunate enough to bring a whole bunch of people from outside northeast Ohio to our gigs. That's a, that's a really great point because where Blossom was located was centrally located to Columbus, not far from Toledo. Chris alluded to, of course, Akron, Canton, Youngstown. Um, and those markets fed, there was nothing like other venues. There was no Polaris Amphitheater in Columbus, and there was a Star Lake in Pittsburgh, but there was nothing like that venue. You know, and you also couple with the fact that they were on a roll. The band was on a roll. They had, um, they had the Heartland album that came out that was getting a tremendous amount of airplay in 81, 82, no, 80, in 80, 81 North Coast came out. And then literally a few days before the dates in, um, in August, on August 25th, I believe it was earlier in the week, 
the MSB album came out. And so they actually featured, I mean, that first night, and I remember Jane Scott's review, that first night they did 20, maybe even had the set list. 29 okay. songs. They had 29 songs from those albums, and of course from Stage Pass and Ladies' Choice, and you know, of course way back to um, you brought, you brought, you break it, you bought it. Um, but the entire set list was amazing, and at that time, they were all, everybody was writing. You know, Bob had his incredible songs that they had with my, that he was working with Michael. Kevin Raleigh, of course, was just in his peak of writing. Um, uh, it just was an incredible time that these guys were in their stride. It wasn't necessarily the acoustic set that maybe, um, you know, Friends and Legends was. This really became a rock show, and the fact that they were, had been touring with Kiss, they were touring with Foreigner, the Doobie Brothers, they saw what other bands were doing around the country, and they, uh, along with Mike, Mike, when you talk about no budget, he, they came with some lasers, new lights, some pyro, which, no, you know, the band never used frickin' pyro. But, and the, big, the one thing that, that first night, was electric because it was Mike's idea to film them coming out of the dressing room. And if you were there, you can see it on all the on a lot of the stuff. There, Gary was being his wild guy self, and they were all walking through the backstage. You know, not, I'm not saying it was like Spinal Tap because they knew where they were going. Um, <laughs> but it was really electric. And, you know, had we not had those other seats sold, those first two shows would have just taken it over the top. If, you could, if you could enjoy, imagine the enjoyment that we would get watching this band on stage. Now, you all had the chance to watch them from the outside. Some of us had the chance to watch them from the stage. And if you could see the sweat coming off their bodies, and this guy running around. How many people saw this guy run around? You realize if he, if he had had a Fitbit on, it would have been eight miles that night, those nights, because of the energy that he expended. But, but it wasn't just you. It was the whole band. Every got so engaged and excited. I'm going to share a note from Michael Gismondi in just a little bit that he wrote for tonight. But, Gary, I, the thrill of being out there. Mike, I told Michael when we, we got out there, I said, man, listen, here it is. These are our fans. we got to give it at all, man. Let's just go. Let's get them. You know? Did you, Gary, I think the band, and, and you point this out, I think they had grown, they had grown to like a seven-piece at that point yeah. from what they were. Was there, when you started, when Michael comes to you and is like, we're doing four shows at Blossom. What was your reaction? Was it pressure? Was it <laughs> excitement? That's unbelievable. I couldn't believe it. We couldn't believe it. You know, I don't know exactly what happened there. Did um, the first two shows sold out, and then they had to add on because we're so much uh, prepaid? They were all they, they were all announced at the up? same time. Mike would, okay. did, he wasn't gonna because they they came and did they did three shows the year before. They yeah. people knew that there was got to be something like I said bigger and better. And Mike said no, we're going. We're not gonna sort of mm -hmm. leak this thing and and milk it. It's all or nothing. And the prices were right too at that time. Yeah. How do you so you you mentioned this, uh, Chris and Barry? How do you promote a four night show? I mean, obviously you have the unlimited budget. <laughs> I mean, but when you have to sit, when you sit down and come up for a plan, like what's that plan entail? Well, again, the, the band had, they had that album, um, MSB, on the shelf. And they knew... August 23rd, I August think. August 23rd, yeah. the shows were the... But they had released a couple of the... One of the singles, um, and it may have been Kevin's song. It could have been either... Uh, no, it was... Um, probably it was Kevin's When I'm Holding You Tight. Was released, right. and then the second single off yeah. that was, um, I think, it was "Take the Time." Um, right, but, but he can't love you was the you know big hit. Right, right. The yeah. MTV they, videos helped a lot of that. Yeah, too. and they also had a lot of videos that were being played at that time too. I can't remember when they were on Dick Clark and Merv Griffin, right. Um, right. but it was all around that same time Susan that was Anton. all teed up. And EMI <laughs> actually Anton. did a great job on on teeing up a lot of the uh, support. They also were very heavily involved in in um, starting the, the, the sale of the show. But it was, like Chris said, we were all over Northeast Ohio with advertising and into Columbus as well. Um, on LVQ, QFM 96, we were at IOT in Toledo and uh, The Wolf in Youngstown. We were, we were everywhere. And we, we were not stingy on giving tickets away in promotion. So. And, and if you all remember, you, you are here because you're Michael Stanley fans. Think about the music that was in the can at that point. When you talk about MSB, 
in between the lines. I mean, I'd go just to see that song, and if you saw that song performed live, you didn't. You, that was the. That was it. Anything else was an encore. But North Coast had come out within the Heartland, and that was, as we all know, that was kind of a. Yeah. yeah Gary Markaski, right? Yeah. <laughs> Opening the, with Richard Bell on the For our next, that's for, that's for another night. How's that? We'll do the, the lyrics of the Michael Stanley band another night. And my point, my point in saying that is that they had they had a library of music that was still so hot and so good that 29 songs they could have played 39 songs and we would have all known those 39 songs. But that music was so good at that point. And I love the fact that you mentioned the videos because remember MTV had come on. Michael and the band were on TV. They a perfect storm of audio and visual and on record and holy mackerel, Andy. Selling those shows may have been difficult, but it was not going to be unsuccessful. It was going to be successful based on the effort that we put into it. I want to, you know, I want to get to the night of this. So let's go to that first show, um, August 25th. Lines, traffic, talk to me. I mean, obviously you guys haven't fixed those traffic problems at Blossomberry, all right? <sighs> okay, what's going on? 1982 to 2022, nothing's changed. Nothing people got to get no, no, no. People still have to get out of their cars to yeah. pee. You know, it takes a while. What can I tell you? The, the only this, difference is there are more bathrooms now. God bless. That's correct. Live there Nation are more bathrooms. When I was working there, there were no bathrooms and the woods were full. So we definitely needed the bathrooms. You know, that's the nature of the outdoor business and the sheds. You know, when you go to enough of these around the country, historically, it's one way in and one way out. And you just got to hang in there, relax, and, you know, get there early, party in the parking lot, and enjoy yourself. That's what, you know, we try to... We don't party in the parking lot because we want you to party inside. But, you know, it's nothing's changed, you know. But even that was extreme yeah. traffic. I yeah. mean, uh, we... We were at we were at uh, Pitbull last night, and I got stuck in traffic um, a little bit. But this was next yeah. level going yeah. back. Uh, Gary, pick up your mic for, for a second. I want to ask you. <laughs> you take a request now. <laughs> All right, wait. I want to ask you. Uh, Gary. <laughs> Gary. Gary. <laughs> this is. We didn't. We didn't pay him to do this. He's, he's just here doing it. What's There's the next no question? question. Pick up your mic. No, Gary, I want to ask you, the when we're talking about that first night, the energy, uh, what was that like? Because you guys, you went to the venue in, limo, in limousines, right? Well, yeah, it was unreal. We, I, he doesn't remember. There's somebody in the front row. So. I, 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 came, I came to the guys when we were standing out front to, to thank the audience, who, which is all about the fans. Never forget that. that we want to give you our heart and souls, all the passion. But we could. And I said, Michael, I was standing right next to him, Michael, if we don't do anything else in our career, this was the night, uh, man, it was hard to talk about. I said, thank the Lord. 
And I want to, we're going to read, I'm going to let Chris read this, um, because obviously you guys, many of you were there, but you, you didn't get to see backstage. So Michael Gizmondi sent us a, sent Chris. So uh, you all know Michael yeah. was the bass player. And he was pretty quiet, but he sure was a good bass player, wasn't he? He still is. He still is. As Gary is still a great guitar player. So he wanted to be here. He wanted to be here as well. He had some scheduling conflicts, but he did send us this. So uh, we reached out to, to Michael when we heard he couldn't make it. And he's a pretty quiet guy, but he wrote something really nice, and I'd love to share it with you. He says, as most of us know, time has a way of slipping by us as we go through our daily lives and our daily routines. In an attempt to recall events from 40 years ago, our memory can tend to omit much of what has occurred. Do we agree with that? Considering the sold-out MSB Blossom shows, there's a feeling of accomplishment and a little disbelief that I was part of the phenomenon of such magnitude in that the record still holds to this day. I am so fortunate to say, yes, I was there. A specific memory from those nights was, with my sister's help, my parents were able to attend one of the shows. Of course, they stuck around to come downstairs after the show. As I approached Michael Stanley to introduce him to my parents, he politely ended his conversation with who he was talking to and immediately came and introduced himself to my parents and complimentary to me, and I'll never forget how gracious he was. Such was the thoughtfulness and the kindness of Michael Stanley that I will always remember with much gratitude. As far as playing in front of that huge crowd, it was surreal, as you might expect, and somewhat distracting if you try to comprehend what you're experiencing in the moment, and very exhilarating as you and the audience and bandmates exchange energy. Wasn't that the truth? Yeah. yeah. Gary Markaski. So that backstage area was hilarious. I'm sorry, I'm talking Michael Gizmondi. Michael Gizmondi, <laughs> excuse me. Chris will attest to this. So um, one of the things that was always crazy was the amount of people after the show backstage. Um, it just, right, Gary? It's going on and on. It, it was it sometimes, you know, when I'm backstage for shows nowadays, there might be 30, 40 people, and that's it. Easily 300 people backstage. Wow. With no question. Everybody was a friend of somebody in the band, but the one I remember the most was Michael's mom, Marty yeah. Gee. Marty used to wear a button that said, I know Michael Stanley personally. She was phenomenal. Well, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to touch on that to say my favorite guy behind was Mr. Gee, Michael's dad, who was always so polite, just such a gentleman. And, you know, I'm a freaking fan, okay? So I'm blushing over there. I love your son. He's the greatest. And, and Michael Gee, uh, a senior, says, yeah, yeah, I guess he's pretty good. <laughs> but it was a delight to meet the family. And at that time, the daughters were... They were, were really young. very young. They yeah. were still young. They didn't know what was going on. They just knew they were there at the sound check and running around. They were, they were pretty young. Um, but they are very heavily involved in his foundation going forward now. If you follow them on, online. Um, they started a foundation when Michael passed away called 10,000 Watts of Holy Light. That's part of the Cleveland Foundation. So if you're interested in supporting, they actually donated some dollars last year to a number of causes that Michael was very heavily involved with. The Gathering Place, uh, the APL locally here, if you all know, Michael and his wife Denise used to um, uh, donate and spend a lot of time with animal rescues. Um, so if you're interested in supporting that. And the shows that we have coming up in December, a portion of all the proceeds will wind up going to the foundation as well. So. I, you know... You can you can find reviews of that first night, especially like Jane Scott has an awesome review as, as you saw, and it's funny too because I have in our archives for Cleveland.com and the Plain Dealer, the review is right above ads for Rocky Three and Fast Times at Richmond High, which were showing at the local theaters. Um, but I wanted to ask you guys, what are highlights from some of the other shows? Did it was there was it rain and mud at one of them? Yeah, there was definitely <laughs> rain. Um, <laughs> Anybody get caught out there in the rain? Anybody still looking for their keys in their car? <laughs> yeah. Out on the road, out on, on at the, the grass area? Well, there's always mud there, um, crazy mud. You know, no matter what you try to do when it rains out there, it becomes, you know, Cedar Point ride. 
Um, and that's what would happen one of the nights. But it also was very humid, if I remember correctly. And there was, you know, there were times where Michael would run across the stage and he fell on his ass once or twice. <laughs> Another thing with Mike that was part of the mystique that people may or may not know, he, you know, when you go to shows now, there's, there are people, security people in front of every, like, 10 feet of the stage. And Mike insisted, he said, I don't want any security people on the, on the front of the stage. If somebody comes up, we'll deal with it. He wanted girls to come up. He wanted people to, to maul Michael. And it was part of the, sh it was part of the shtick. But you never, the thing was, of course, you never knew when it was going to happen. Um, and it, it happened. I don't know, anybody here? Jump on stage. Jump on stage. Nobody's there we go. Oh, oh. And you were treated kindly and, right? Yep, yep. Um, so that, you know, w when it did rain, it was, cr it was crazy. I know that I had an issue with when I was out there with rain. My car, and, but whatever. <laughs> so Story for another day. Normally we, we wait a little bit, but I want to get the mic wranglers up because I feel like we're going to have a lot of questions and, and stories. So if you have a question or, or a memory you want to share even, uh, just raise your hand and we'll come along to you. So does anybody have any, before I ask this, does anybody have any swag or merch from those 82 shows at all? So I, I have like 10 boxes of merch at home um, from so many things. It's amazing. Um, and I want to give a shout out to one of their, their merchandiser who was a really good friend of Michael for many years who passed away years ago, Paul Steeles. Yeah, yeah, he used yeah. to own a place called Juicy Lucy, and he was Michael's merchandise guy for many, many years. And they would have some of the best stuff. Um, and I, periodically, my wife can't wait for me to get rid of half the stuff I have. <laughs> so I actually have a shirt that, a sweatshirt from that tour. I'm going to give this out is I want to see somebody fit into it because it's a large, <laughs> but I swear it's a small. <laughs> all right. There you go. It's all yours. There you go. I don't think it's going to fit. We're going to try Well, here. you can take the zipper try. down from the top a little bit. It'll fit in. I have a six-year-old home. I have and a it even smells like my basement, so. <laughs> you see this, Michael? Look. That would fit my six-year-old, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Why yeah. There you go. She got it. <laughs> it fit. Right. She's got awesome. it. Awesome. All right. And yeah. as, as yeah, Michael yeah. would say, take the time to pass it along sometime down the line. I will. All right. All right. Let me get Try. Let me get to my, <laughs> get to my white guys here. May I ask? Or add oh, one yeah. Thing? Sure, sure. So, folks, this is, this is a celebration of, of Michael's experience at Blossom. And there's a gentleman who's not here with us tonight. His name is Chris Fallman. I've referenced him earlier. He was the general manager for these many years at Blossom from really 1973 through the 1990s. And I was hoping that he could be here, and he's not, which is why I'm here. But I just wanted to share something with you that he shared with us, because I think you'll enjoy it. First of all, are you all aware that Blossom is named after a family? Essentially... My mentor, my friend, and the wisest, most persuasive person I've ever met was Emily Blossom. Emily was central to all these decisions about Blossom, gave the gift to make Blossom's impact in Northeast Ohio. Many times we discussed how important it was to champion artists with local connections when we could. Joe Walsh, Meatloaf, Chrissy Hind, Henry Mancini, and of course, the Michael Stanley Band. I know that Emily would be very pleased that the attendance record is held by MSB. Yeah. So, A, the record is still held by MSB, if I'm not mistaken. Nobody's going to break that record. And B, Emily Nobody. Blossom, who passed away many years ago, but who was instrumental in creating the venue that we're celebrating tonight, would have been so pleased with Michael and his legacy. I thought I'd share that. Thank you. All right. Let's, uh, let's open things up. Who has a question or comment? Where are we at? Front row. We'll get, we'll get, this is my dude right here. He's been, he's been excited since this thing started. We'll get you. We'll get you. That's great. For real. Uh, Gary, I just want to know about the ant thing. <laughs> How that came to be. Why? 
Michael never could explain it. <laughs> it just, I'll tell you what happened. It was, um, I think it was uh, the gig at uh, Hiram College one night, okay? And it was right before Halloween. And uh, for some reason, I had these suspenders. And it wasn't the red outfit that you saw. <laughs> it was blue and all this other stuff. And I had this old um, this ski hat, okay, that I put on. And I came out and did the last couple songs <laughs> that night. And that's how it just it blossomed from then on. And then we we kept doing it a little bit off and on at the, on the encores and stuff. And then uh, Jules Balkan really liked it. He thought it should be on the back of the album cover. <laughs> so that's how I got, we took that shot at, at Mike's house yeah. over there on uh, Music Street. Yeah, and they put, the record company loved it. They put it on the um, back of the album cover. And 16 Magazine had it, everything. It was going in all these magazines. We couldn't believe it. And Michael said, I don't know how it happened. It just it did. And so we used it to promote the Cabin Fever album. Was there really a 16 magazine? It was before, before Ant-Man yes, and Marvel Comics, so had you known, you could have really cashed in on that. <laughs> yes, but you were late. All right, front row here. State your name. you got to tell me your name. I want to Resonators. Oh, he's not, he's not even ready. All right. Well, for starters, this is a question for Gary Markaski. Um, I'm a guitar player. I'm a cancer survivor. And... Um, when I was in the hospital, just after removing a tumor, when I was 16 years old, I got a phone call. And Michael called me in the hospital. My, my father was like, you got to take this call, dude. It's Michael Stanley. It's Michael Stanley. So we talked for like a half an hour. We did Baby You Want to Dance, Midwest Midnight. We did all those great songs. So. My, my question is to you, Gary, why did you leave the band and why did Jonah Coslin come in and what happened with Breathless and all that? Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, <clears throat> there was a problem. Well, what happened, Jonah left initially first, okay? And then I, I came in, that's my phone, excuse me. <laughs> It's that's the Jonah. that's the PR person. It's, it's, it's Michael. <laughs> he said, "Gary, make this right." <laughs> awesome. Yes, that's the publicist. Like, don't answer so this anyway, question. <laughs> right at that time, that time after we got done, we were just doing starting on you can't fight fashion and all that. We were doing my town. You was just starting everything, and right then I had a, a big personal endeavor with my wife, okay? My father, who's, who just passed away, and then my brother was in a coma for a couple of years, and I, I had a, I was just, uh, I know, like, all at once, yeah. And so, we just moved on, Danny Pyers came in, okay, which is a great player, man, I love him, man. Him and I uh, get along great, and he, he took over from them, and, and ca carried the tong. Yeah. We've done shows together off and on. Yeah, all through And how many times have you seen Gary with Danny Powers? Isn't that really special when that happens? It's just oh, so yeah. great to see those guys together on yeah. stage. And we've got a few more coming up down the road. Yeah. We've got a question back here. Uh, this is probably for Barry. Uh, you've done numerous shows for the last how many years now? 40? <laughs> yeah. Um, I left my walker at home tonight. I'm braving it. <laughs> 43. Yeah, yeah, 43 years of doing S these things. Sitting here tonight, would you have ever thought that if you looked at, if you were sitting there 40 years ago for the, like these four nights that came up, that you would say that 40 years from now we'd still be talking about it? Would you have ever thought that? Well, the short answer is no, but I know the legacy of 13 years of that band. And you know, if you also know what Michael reinvented himself for 30 years on the radio, plus he was on television, right. he's one of the most likable guys. This gentleman said he called him. I know countless stories of things where I, people would call me and say, can you do this or can he do this? Michael was a real person. And the fact that he was, he lived in Cleveland all his life. He stayed in Cleveland. It was never a flyover city to him. It was always his town. And so that legacy of all the things that he's done, 
doesn't surprise me that people still hang on that, you know, 40 years later, or they, like Chris said, go to every show, because you, you put that beautiful relationship that he had with his hometown, with his fans, and the actual lyrics and the music that he and the guys put together, it, again, is the perfect storm for why people love this guy, and will be that way. And I, to this day, I, I know I'm getting emails from a band called uh, the West, I forget, it's a band of women that are a country rock band out in Los Angeles, and they're covering one of Michael's songs from um, um, American, uh, American, what is the American Road um, album. And so I, we get this all the time, where younger musicians are going to wind up hearing his music, covering his music, and it it's happens all the time. We're getting calls all the time from publishing companies. So that's the long answer. The short answer was, who the fuck knew that was going to happen? <laughs> the long answer is, look at his life and why it's this way. So. I think you've, you missed that line, but I'm laughing my ass off. He said, thank God for the white man that put the white lines on the highway. <laughs> my editor, Mike, Mike I Norman, know. just sent me. I know me. that I know. story. I figured I wanted to make sure you heard that. That was, I did. The, I did. That was worth coming tonight. Yeah. Troy, we got one over here. Get him out. No, we have another question in the back. Hi, guys. Oh, I'm sorry. He's I'm got a, a little close there. The hey, um, in... We did attend, my wife and I, who was my girlfriend at the time, we attended one of the, the concerts, and it was a rain-soaked concert. It was hell getting out of Blossom at that time. But what really kind of sits in my mind was, do you recall in 1979 a five-night run at the Palace Theater? Yes. That was Because that was one night. of the... That was... I was a freshman in college, and we went for my birthday on the 25th of November, and... That actually sits out in my mind as one of the best Michael Stanley concerts. How about that? Omar, he was on the, you know, yes. Michael came out in a, 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 through the floor, up to the ceiling. Omar um, did this magic trick and brought Michael up on the stage. It was great. Yeah, I remember yeah. Michael running down the floor with a rose hanging out of his mouth. And, and oh, he yeah. was just, he was living it up. It was a, it was a tremendous show. Five days But I was row. surprised that you didn't mention that in, because that was a five-night stand. Yeah, it was. At the Palace Theater. Yeah. yeah. That well, was an unbelievable. And, and it was Part of the renovation at that time, because it was still coming out from underneath a lot of the old... Uh, rundownness of it, and one of the things that Mike did, again, in typical Mike, Fa Mike Belkin fashion, was one of the nights we did a promotion with American Commodore Tuxedo. I don't know if anybody remembers that place, oh, and yeah. you, yes. they wanted everybody to come in tuxedos <laughs> and formal gowns, and, and yes. the band did the same thing one of the nights. It wasn't all of the nights, but that was way, the way Mike used to do it. This night will be the formal night, and this night will be whatever, and I remember coming in with the invoice for the uh, tuxedo that I rented, and he was not happy about it. I remember that. But those were amazing shows at yes, the Yes, they were. Thank, thank Thanks you. Thanks for bringing those up. Yep. Yeah. Anybody else? Oh, we have, do we have someone? Okay. Over here. Go ahead. Gotcha. I have a question for Barry. Um, it's not specifically about Blossom, but it's more about Michael as a person in your relationship with him over the years. Um, I had heard the interviews on NCX uh, the day after he passed away. They did all that nice programming. And you had mentioned him being a prolific letter writer and that you had a lot of letters, um, you being in each other's wedding and all that. Um, and I wasn't at his. Maybe I wasn't at the first, second, but I was invited to the third. <laughs> But it was in Vegas, and I couldn't yeah. get it there. But, um, Ed, I'm sorry. But um, I just wondered if you could speak a little bit about that. Because, I mean, it was so touching to see that he had prepared that letter for the fans. Well, that and hearing, you know, that so many people had gotten years and years of these beautiful letters and correspondence from him. And, I mean, that those kind of things seem to be reflected in his songwriting. He's a very thoughtful guy. Um, I'm not telling, you know, it, it's, it, it, it's who he is, it, who he was. And he was a letter writer. 
before he passed away, he wrote, he knew what was going on, and he wrote the letter to his fans at NCX, and they wanted, he wanted that posted upon his passing. Um, and he wrote letters to every band member. Um, he wrote a lot of letters to different people that were close to him um, that still have those letters, but that just is an extension of his writing. Um, he's a very thoughtful guy. I, if, I know everybody here is a fan, and that's why they're here. Um, while the MSB days were incredibly hot and the music was incredible, you listen to the Solo Years albums and those records are incredible writing. You know, take, take the time to listen to the music and, and the lyrics as well and um, you'll, you'll see that. You all know that because you're here. Um, he wrote letters to us all the, all time. the time. All the time. Birthdays, Christmas, Everything, all those, and I used to love to read them. I got a bunch of them at home. I'm gonna have to post them out here. We should put them up at the Hall of Fame. Yeah, yeah I just also want to he's so dear, say right from that, the heart. Um, the another New Year's Eve, the acoustic. Right. I noticed you were uh, on the credits for the um, Cleveland Youth Orchestra. Well, that was one of the things, and it was very, it was a, it was very difficult because. We knew that he was in bad health, and um, and I actually had asked him before that if he would be interested in doing another New Year's Eve with the Contemporary Youth Orchestra. And if you're not familiar with the Contemporary Youth Orchestra, it's, they feed to 65 school systems in Northeast Ohio. They're all high school kids. Um, and it really is a wonderful orchestra that uh, is, they, they do contemporary music, not just classical music, but contemporary music. And um, we were in the middle of the pandemic. And normally they have a way of doing a show every year called Rock the Orchestra, which is one of their biggest fundraisers. Well, nobody was going anywhere and they still had to pay the bills. So I had asked Michael, would you be interested in doing a Zoom, a, a show, a Zoom song with these kids and they'll work on the, um, um, the arrangements with Bob Polander and the orchestra's musical director. And if you haven't seen it, it was an incredible piece. And not only is it still being shown um, around the city, uh, they were able to raise around $8,000 from donations and local sponsorships to get that done, which was really Michael saying thank you to the, these kids. Again, that's part of that legacy thing of him. He never knows how to say no, that guy. He never did. He always was available to do that. and so. And it was me, it was heart-wrenching because I knew what he was going through. And the frickin' song being Another New Year's Eve, it was like um, incredibly powerful. And that song was written, you know, for his ex-wife, his wife who passed away previously, Denise, because he knew she was sick. So tough. it was tougher all the way around, but Michael, to his, he did it. He did it, it was very nice of him. We'll take a couple more questions. We have one up here, and then a few more, actually. Okay. This is a we'll question. We'll get to you. We'll get to you. Question for Gary, and, and by the way, up, us up here in the balcony won't bitch if you pick up your guitar again. Okay, brother? <laughs> I see. I got you. <laughs> we got you. All right, cool. Um, Michael had, you know, the Michael Stanley band, The Resonators, and uh, I happened to be at uh, Kane Park Saturday night, and uh, Jim Brickman played. And Mark uh, Lee Shannon was the opening act. Mark Lee Shannon was the opening act, and he and Jim Brickman did a great rendition of My Town at the end. It was beautiful. Um, they had a six-string electric uh, violin player there, Silverman. Oh, my, it, was, it was wonderful. But it made me think, you know, post now, what's the relationship uh, between the two band members? Do you guys interact at all? And uh, um, Mark's a great player. I just haven't worked with him much at all. Just a couple of shows that we did, um, but other, not only Mark, but other members of the Resonators and, and you know Michael Stanley. I know some guys overlap, but do you guys talk you know, in I, here? Rodney's been in there since way back when, you know. He pushed his way onto the stage. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, sort of. Yeah, he was just good. He's a good singer. Everything percussion is great. And then um, <clears throat> the other guys, I really don't know that much. Not, not uh, we, did, we did a couple shows together, but that was about it. So I, I don't really know. Jonah and I did a lot of shows together through the years. And Danny, Danny Powers. So I love both of those guys, man. We're here to 
carry on with the legacy to celebrate Michael's life and all his writings. That's what this is about. Yeah. All of us. I'm talking about resonators, MSP, everybody that was in all through the years. Pretty un un unbelievable to have uh, a local guy be the soundtrack of your lives. You know, it's usually it's another band, and they are a lot of bands, you know, Pink Floyd or whatever as our classic rock, but it's really cool to have your hometown guy be the soundtrack of your lives. I know I'm not a Clevelander by birth, but it's my soundtrack of my life. I know that. Question right here. Uh, thank you. You um, have a mic in your hand. I got to go with you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm curious, uh, Chris, when was the first um, concert of Blossom? What year was that? Uh, well, Blossom? <laughs> you mean non-orchestra show? Like first rock and roll show? Uh, no, I, I have... Concert, um, like Okay. Yeah, 1968. Okay. That was. Were you born? No, you weren't born then, were you? March oh, 1984. You know, you missed the Michael Stanley band at Blossom. They were fabulous. So, anyway, uh, it's funny for those of you who have been to Blossom over the years. Uh, this concert series at Blossom was uh, began in 1968. I mentioned that Chris Fallman booked in 1973 and going forward, but. Here's the, here's the 1969 lineup for those of us who are over 40. <laughs> Vanilla Fudge, Al Hurt, Peter, Paul, and Mary. Headlining on August 1st, Gary Puckett and the Union Gap, ladies and gentlemen. How about that, baby? August 26th, uh, so that would be, God, that's you know however many years ago from now. Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Janis Joplin played Blossom on August 29th. Bill Cosby also played. Now, many of you, uh, I wanted to Let's just... not talk about that Cosby show. <laughs> Were you, you don't, do you know who Janis Joplin is, Troy? <laughs> she works she, she's the, she works over at the Giant Eagle in Lakewood. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, I'm looking here. I'm, I, I know, I'm trying to remember. Who, who attended the Pink Floyd show at Blossom? Anybody? Do you remember what year that was? 79, no, 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 73, okay. Just last but not least, I've just hit on some of these because this is really cool, okay? You guys, these are old actors and actresses and musicians, but B.J. Thomas played with Sean Anaz, the opener, in 1971. <laughs> Don't you dare miss Johnny Mathis. On, how about this? Al Hurt played with Short Legs and the Saints. I don't know who the Short Legs were, but I don't think they're around anymore. And then just a couple more dates in 71 to just show that music was so freaking cool then. Judy Collins, Glenn Campbell, Chicago, The Carpenters with Mac Davis, The Bee Gees, and The Fifth Dimension. How about that? So we here in Northeast Ohio, uh, Gary Markaski played here in 1972. September. <laughs> So how blessed are we here to enjoy a venue like Blossom and, and, and the music of the Michael Stanley Band. And I'll tell you, one and one equals 15 when you're talking about Blossom and the Michael Stanley Band. All right, I'm going to take two more questions, even though there's way more than two hands up. The first show was 1968, and it was Judy Collins. I, I don't really have a question. Question per se. This is um, I was at all four of those shows. I don't know if anybody else was here. How many went to all four of them? That's good. We're, we're the elite few. Barry, that's forty dollars. I know. <laughs> Kaching. But I'm um, Gary. This is how popular your aunt costume was in 1979. My boyfriend dressed up as that for Halloween. <laughs> I was in freshman year at Akron U. Had the album. He worked for Sapiller Trailer Sales, and you left it in the motorhome, so I have that copy. <laughs> oh, my God. I, and what else? He, the bit starts he, tonight he at... He was a spitting image of you. He had the same mustache, and we went to the, party, the bars, and everybody knew who he was. That's how popular that album was in 1979. Oh, my God. Wow. That's a he, great story. I still have the picture. I still have the picture somewhere. Oh, you send right. it to me. This is the last okay. last question. Thank you for everybody who raised their hands. Last question. Hey, we were a lot younger then, so our minds played trick on us. But didn't Jerry Garcia play a blossom one night with Michael Stanley? I don't think Jerry, Jerry played. Garcia? 
I don't know if they would have played together. That's no. a funky bill. Yeah. <laughs> we did have the Grateful Dead there, yeah. but not with Michael Stanley. Yeah, the Dead played there a number Listen, of times. Listen, I was there, okay? You were there. <laughs> March 1984. <laughs> we used to do promotions, like the craziest thing, when radio actually did promotions that were like crazy. <laughs> we did, there was a, uh, the Grateful Dead played, I'm, I'm getting off point, the Grateful Dead played this little area, central Ohio, called Buckeye Lake, Legend Valley. Sure. All right, so we did a promotion with WEBN, the pig down in Cincinnati. And we were looking for the biggest Grateful Dead fan. And this is when you used to have to sit and send in postcards. You know, there was no phone or email or, you know, faxing. So, so they're going through all the postcards and they call me up and say, here's our winner. I'm the biggest Grateful Dead fan. I just can't remember why. <laughs> oh, that, how about the, the, the Darren Back tour, Jeff Beck? Up all the way from Florida up to Maine, New York. It was unreal. We had to get on. We did one song after another. Couldn't even talk to anybody because they wanted back, back, back. That's all you heard. Yes. It was crazy. I want you, so to wrap things up, um, first I want to thank all you guys for coming out here. I knew this was going to be a fun night. Definitely lived up to expectations. Give it up for, for these guys for, for joining me. I want to, I'm going to look at Mike Miller because I'm trying to remember the date. Our next event that we have scheduled anyway for October is uh, the anniversary of Meat Loves Bad Out of Hell. Is it Octo <laughs> October 21st? Um, it's, it's, it's price. It's not a free. All of our events have been free, This, but the, this goes to charity. So look that up on the Music Box site. And he's already ahead of me, but I was going to ask uh, Gary to play us out here since he had his guitar with him. <laughs> Take it, take it home. Thank you guys so much.